Welcome to Tech Explorations Podcast, Episode 3. This episode comes in two parts. In the first part of Episode 3, Peter Delmaris, that's me, talks with Alain Panetrat. Alain is the founder of Omslow, a company that designs, manufactures and sells open-source hardware with a focus on wired IoT. Alain also works as a product manager and researcher for the Cloud Security Alliance. He previously worked as an IT expert for the French Data Protection Authority, CNIL, and as a smart card security consultant in the banking industry. He holds a PhD in applied cryptography, but discovered a passion for electronics the day he bought his first Arduino Uno. In my conversation with Alain, we discussed NoCAN, a platform that uses CAN bus to network dozens of Arduino nodes with a single wire. NoCAN is a technology that is very interesting on its own, and I've spent a big bunch of the interview discussing it with Alain. But apart from the technology, I was very interested in Alain's experience in setting up a business around NoCAN and running two Kickstarter campaigns. When it comes to electronics and manufacturing, Alain is totally self-taught. In this first part of the conversation, Alain introduces himself and talks about his background, Omslow, NoCAN and how he got started with the Arduino and the Raspberry Pi. Our conversation continues in the next part, where Alain talks about his Kickstarter campaigns, the design features of NoCAN, his challenges and near disasters in manufacturing a complete hardware product, and his future plans for NoCAN. I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation. This is Tech Explorations Podcast, Episode 3, Part 1. The Tech Explorations Podcast is a podcast produced by Tech Explorations. My mission is to share the stories of makers and to learn from them. I simply want to explore why and how makers do what they do. Let's welcome Alain and hear his story now. Alain, a pleasure to have you on the Tech Explorations Podcast. How are you today? Fine, thank you. A pleasure to be here. It's amazing. So uh, you are in Athens. What is it like now? In Athens. Uh, it's it's gray outside. It's totally not Greece. Yeah, it's not not the picture that I've got in my mind. But you're actually not Greek. You are. Oh, you've been in Greece for quite a few years, but you're French, and uh, somehow you ended up in Greece. What happened? Yeah, it's a bit more complicated. I'm French, as you can tell by the name, but my mother's Canadian. And I live in Greece. So, yes, I, I'm, I'm pretty confused. Uh, I married a Greek, actually. That's what happened. You are a citizen of the world. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Well, um, I'm eager to talk about quite a few things because you have a very interesting background. So you have a security background, I think um, software, right? And then you are an Arduino person, an Arduino maker, a Raspberry Pi, and you are both an entrepreneur and a maker. So tell us a little bit about your background, and then we'll get to all that good stuff. So I, I'm um, I'm the founder of yeah of a small company called Omslow that makes uh, manufactures and designs uh, microcontroller systems for makers. It's everything I I do is open source, open hardware. Uh, but I, I guess my main product, if you want to call it this way, is called the uh, NoCan platform. It's an IoT platform for makers. And what sets it apart from all this IoT thing a lot of people are doing is that my platform is wired. 
as opposed to wireless. With, right. There's yeah. no Wi-Fi, no no Bluetooth, and, and nothing like that. Yeah. So. We'll come back to that because this is um, the opposite of where the trend is. Uh, trend is absolutely, like no absolutely. wires. So great. And my background is not at all. Uh, my background is not at all uh, electronics. Actually, I come from the world of uh, cryptography. I did a PhD in cryptography. After that, I got into the banking industry, uh, doing smart card security, and then I ended up at the, what is called the French Data Protection Authority, the CNIL, which it, it implements a law that protects the privacy of uh, individuals. You know, and I was a, uh, I was. Uh, there as a technical advisor uh, because it's quite it's a mix of legal and technical stuff mm. uh, advising on you know how privacy of users is sometimes breached or otherwise protected and then finally today I, I, I a few years ago I I joined um, a company called Cloud Security Alliance that is into mm. best practices for cloud security yeah CSA now that's quite an interesting background like it, it's quite far from what you're doing in Omslo, a company that you founded uh, like last year, I believe, or maybe earlier than yeah. that as well. But I think you were actually turned into a proper company last year, and there's a Kickstarter campaign as well. But there's a big distance between all that you know, security stuff and you know, cloud security and government organizations and banks to NOCAN and Omslo. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. But there is insecurity and there is always uh, this idea of hacking things, you know. Um, yeah, tinkerer. There's all, and, yeah, and there is sometimes, even if we're looking at, um, um, you know, traditional information systems, there's always a hardware aspect. Uh, I remember in my previous job looking at the security of um, RFID systems that were protecting hospital patients in hospitals that were, you know, uh, very weak or otherwise they would put some RFID tags on them to make sure that they would not uh, run away, for example, mm. talking about people who have dementia and stuff like that. And we showed that you could actually still uh, get around these protections by simply putting the tags in metal cans and then they would not. Uh, uh, so you see this idea Transmit. that, uh, yeah, you cannot transmit anymore. But uh, what I mean is that here again, it's a hacking story. It's, uh, it's yeah. about... Uh, uh, and making is about hacking. And so there's not such a big gap between security and f finding, playing with electronics and doing stuff like that. Uh, when it comes to electronics, like you have a PhD in security. So there's a lot of software there and a lot of your skills come from that formal education that you got through university. When it comes to electronics, is it something similar or are you totally self-taught there? I'm totally self-taught. To yes, yes, yes. But what is nice today is that there's so many resources. Uh, I've get, I, it's it's great everything you can learn online through you know courses or even YouTube videos. And uh, so you know, I mean, in just a few years, I learned a huge amount of things, and I find it very exciting actually that you can do this. It's yeah. really it's really great. So uh, the golden age of self education. <laughs> there's no excuse. Yes, yes, <laughs> you can yes. learn anything. <laughs> so yes. let's let's start. Talking about hardware, um, how did you become acquainted or introduced to things like or platforms like the Arduino and the Raspberry Pi? When did it begin? Well, probably ten years ago, something like that. I picked up an Arduino, but uh, I, I probably didn't. 
I, I, I liked to, you know, blink an LED and I was, I, I liked the idea uh, that you had a platform where you could control everything, you know. Um, I love programming, but I love feeling that I control the whole, uh, the whole thing. Like, you know, it's not, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't like when you start playing with, you know, 10 layers of uh, abstraction and software and things like that. And uh, I like when you can design things and feel that you can understand pretty much every bit of it. And Arduino at that time, and still today, I guess, but 10 years ago, it was a platform. It was like a mini, mini, mini computer, but you could almost in, understand everything. And I found that fascinating. But I think I didn't really dig into that until maybe six or seven years ago. It's, uh, actually, when I moved to Greece, uh, maybe, um, you know, with a change, I decided to dig more into this, and I started a more a deeper journey into electronics at that point. Did you have any projects that got you into, you know, to to explore deeper what you can do with the Arduino, or was it at that point more academic? So let's learn how to play with registers. Uh, well, I was yes, I was playing. I had many. I had this interest in building sensor networks and things like that because, you know, uh, I moved to start a family house and I started looking at uh, gardening and watering. <laughs> and yes, yes. And uh, yeah, track. It sounded like a nice project. Uh, but actually, what happened, I started working at that time already on electronics. Uh, but what happened is actually we got a lot of bur burglaries in the mm. neighborhood. And actually, I even saw one literally happening in the neighbors across the street. Uh, it's like, you know, like in the movies, I saw some guys with a white bag on their shoulders running out of the house with stuff. And, you know, I started thinking, uh, uh, wow, I mean, this this can really happen. It's true. I mean, it's not. Uh, and I was thinking, you know, in addition to all the sensors I wanted to start playing with, we we should. I could take this opportunity to add a little bit more of civilians in our own uh, backyard, let's say. I can and see that's, your that's background. That's maybe the yeah. thing that triggered things. <laughs> your background in security is coming out. So the first thing you <laughs> exactly. think about is how can I use the Arduino <laughs> sensors or hardware for security, surveillance? <laughs> so you had the Arduino. You said, okay, I can connect it to sensors, plug it all together, give me some kind of warning system or an alarm or um, something provides more awareness, right? Exactly. And yeah. is that like the, the big project that has followed you for the last six or seven years and that eventually became Oslo? Uh, I think you could consider it. Uh, no, this project started, uh, this thing started maybe four, four years ago, yes three, four years ago. Uh, before that, no. Yeah, this this actually is burglary happened, uh, I think, three years ago. So that would be the turning point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, before that, no, I was just playing with the Arduino from time to time. And also, I, you know, I, I bought a couple of Raspberry Pis just to, again, I like the idea of this small computer where it's not true here, it's a real Linux computer, but still you felt that it was your thing that you could somehow control it more than these more abstract uh, modern computers. Now, the turning point that led to the creation of Ohmslow was probably, yeah, three years ago, three and a half years ago. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Ohmslow now. I think uh, I'm going to show my screen to see 
what it looks like. Uh, that's for anybody who is watching this. Um, if you are not watching this and you're listening to us, just go to the website and the uh, episode page will have a link to the video as well. So, uh, so here is the Omslo homepage, mm-hmm. right? So. Uh, there's a video that shows it, but I can see here from the little diagram that you've got, uh, there's a Raspberry Pi, and that's connected yeah. to a bunch of nodes, and yeah. they are connected via wire. <laughs> there's a wire stretching between those nodes. Can you describe what's happening? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, this is, well, this is the really specific thing here, is that, uh, so why, the, you have a ras- you have a network, and it's got a gateway that is controlled by a Raspberry Pi, right? And uh, then you to that Raspberry Pi, you hook up a first node, which is a node, uh, which is a Arduino compatible node, and then you can add the next one, and then you create a chain like this, and they're all chained together with a single wire. And uh, uh, the the Raspberry Pi is like acts like a gateway between your network and the outside world. And the, ra- the the little nodes together, you can individually program them to do whatever you want. So for example, you may plug one of the nodes into a relay and that controls the light. You may uh, program uh, another node to measure temperature or humidity uh, and so on and so forth. And so you, you have a network of uh, little nodes that you can uh, program and actually you can program them remotely. You don't need to, to plug anything into the... Uh, these little nodes. You don't need to physically access them. Oh. Um, so the, the wire that connects the node to the Raspberry Pi transfers data from sensors and data exactly. to the actuators, but also programming information so that you can change its behavior on the fly as it's connected in, into your house somewhere or your factory. You don't have to go pick it up, bring it back to your desk, reprogram it and plug it back in. Exactly. That's exactly it. The, the wire does two things. It brings power and data oh, yep. so uh, so you don't even have to have little p- plugs everywhere you have one wire that takes care of everything uh, the reason you do this i mean the reason this is interesting is that if you have sensors in your garden you don't want to go there open up a little box and then program the the node you want to be, especially if you're a maker and you're always changing and optimizing and creating new things you don't want to uh, to um, to do this Cool. That that looks really nice. Like as I was saying earlier, all the rage these days and the trends are to go wireless. But you've gone the other way. Uh, you've got uh, a wire that uh, I guess provides a lot of simplicity in the design. You don't have to worry about antennas, uh, radio waves, and propagation, and all that. Um, but you've also used an existing technology that has been tried for networks and has been proven to be very reliable, um, and that is no can, or can, I should say, the protocol. Can you tell us about the how these nodes communicate based on the protocol? Yeah, so they use CAN bus, which is used, um, it originates in the automobile industry, um, where you need an extremely reliable network, and then actually a network that has priorities. Uh, mm. What I mean is that if you're driving a car and... Uh, you're switching the radio and pressing the brakes, the brakes must take priority over <laughs> switching the radio station. I think it makes sense. And uh, no can actually, uh, the, sorry, CAN bus actually has these priorities embedded in it. And it has a lot of security mechanisms um, 
uh, to make sure that every single message is delivered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also designed to be quite resilient in noisy environments because it, electrically a car is a very noisy environment. Yeah. And they started using it not only in cars, but in boats and even in very big boats because it, it can go, it can cover pretty big distances. Yeah. So for all these reasons, uh, it, it, it was a, a nice fit for what I wanted to do. Uh, another important thing to note is that with Canbus, every node can uh, decide to speak, if I, if I may say, at any time. Uh, in many bus protocols, you have a master who will kind of say, you can speak, and then, then will yeah. nominate the next node that can speak here. With Canbus, any node can speak at any time, which means you, you really get a real-time uh, design here, and you it simplifies things a lot very much. But what we did, which, what makes it uh, even more special, is that we built a layer on top of CANBUS that adds functionalities that you cannot find typically in CANBUS. I, I, I guess we'll talk about it. And that's why it got this uh, kind of joke name. It's called No Can because it takes can where no can has ever been. <laughs> I was going to ask because I couldn't figure out what the no was. It was like negative or something, like the opposite. But yeah, now it makes sense. Yeah, I know it gets. I thought it was funny when I I, I picked it, but it, I, it sometimes confuses people. Maybe not the best choice, but now it has stayed, and you know, it's, a, it it's also a bit of a joke. Like you have no SQL, which is supposed yeah. to be the opposite of SQL. You know. Anyway, so you've got can bus that came from the automotive world. It's got like this industrial strength. Uh, mm-hmm. capabilities it can be used these days in a lot of other settings it doesn't have to be a, a car um, and you used it to build a system that a maker can build uh, some kind of automation on mm-hmm. right and in this setup the raspberry pi is what i guess is the the controller is what provides a logic for what each node is supposed to do it programs the nodes it receives data back um, through interrupts perhaps um, what is the the purpose then of, of the raspberry pi in that setting so the raspberry pi uh, acts uh, it, it does network management uh, one of the when you plug a node in the network you can even do it live like the node the, the network is running you add a new node it will say hello and it will ask for an address, a bit like in you know an oh. internet. Uh, you don't have to switch off and restart. Like that can happen live. Plug in, yeah, a absolutely. Node, remove a node. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the the Raspberry Pi will actually uh, assign an address to the new node. So it does this kind of network management thing, and then uh, on the other side of things, it does it acts like a, a gateway between the the network and the outside world because you mm-hmm. can connect this network to outside things, including a smartphone or uh, MQTT, if you're familiar with this, yep. or um, a REST, uh, you can, there's a RESTful API now. Hmm. Uh, you can um, you can address it. You can use command line tools to uh, um, send messages to your network. And these hmm. command line tools can be installed on a completely different computer uh, than the Raspberry Pi. Oh. So the Raspberry Pi kind of right. takes all this kind of, all these things that come from the outside world and uh, sends them to the ins- there's a translation if you if i may say yeah so th- that means that the applications 
are very diverse, right? It can be mobile applications that can be centralized, say, server applications. If you want to have mm-hmm. like a home security system, um, the the I can see here that the ways by which you can interact with the system are also diverse. So you've got a choice <laughs> of interfaces. Uh, what is an example application that like you would um, propose as like a, a standard application to begin with for somebody who's learning how to use this in, in their own settings? Well, I, I start actually uh, the, the the temperature and monitoring um, application is very simple. You just uh, have sensors in different, maybe in one inside your house, one inside outside your house, and you collect temperature and humidity. And you can, for example, send them with uh, MQTT to one of these. Uh, there's many today free uh, data um, collecting websites where you can actually, you know, aggregate the data and do nice graphs. So this is a nice application to yeah. visualize how temperature, humidity changes in uh, in yeah. your house and garden. And potentially, the next step is that you can adapt how you water your plants, and you yeah, can really, use yeah. NoCan to control uh, um, uh, control. Um, Yes, uh, watering systems which on and off uh, water based on the, this data, for example. So you need a bit of imagination, but I'm looking here at some of your Python code. So you can you can use Python to do your this is a C. programming. This is Arduino. Oh, I should say Arduino. Yeah, on the Arduino side. Hang on, I'd like to see what's happening on the Raspberry Pi. There's no code really on the Raspberry Pi. Uh, so do you have someone on your website? a view of what's happening on the Raspberry Pi, uh, if, if there's anything that you do on the Raspberry Pi, I imagine uh, how can I configure a node to you know, uh, turn a relay on and off based on some timer, for example. Is that something that I would do on the Raspberry Pi or on my computer via uh, command line connected to the Raspberry Pi. No, you would do it on, on a node. The node would be connected to um, the relay, and you would uh, program. You would write an Arduino sketch, upload oh. it to your node, and then uh, the node you would tell the node, you know, at a certain time, switch on the relay or whatever. But oh, what right, gets more right. interesting is w- when you have the different nodes that communicate with each other. You could have one node that is measuring the soil hu- uh, humidity, and it would send a message to the network and then another node could pick it up and say oh humidity is below i don't know what 100 we we should water for half an hour yeah right now i get it like so what the raspberry pi is basically to expose the arduinos the nodes the arduinos uh to me as a programmer i interact directly with the nodes Yes, yes, yes. The Raspberry Pi is just a conduit from where uh, that, that allows me to to do this programming and monitoring. Yeah, because the the network is using CAN bus, and most yeah. people, you know, are on IP networks, and uh, it's just it's a translation uh, thing. The just translate between you know maybe a protocol that works on TCP/IP into uh, something that works on the CAN bus node. It's very clever. We talked about wireless versus wired uh, a few minutes ago. I think maybe now we should touch into the advantages of one over the other. So obviously, uh, you feel that the wireless option for an application like this, because also you, you're building on a very robust technology, gives you advantages plus the power. So um, any disadvantages, like I can imagine somebody just 
cutting the wires off, <laughs> then your whole system uh, goes offline. Um, is there any way to, is there any redundancy built in the system? For example, can you do some kind of um, round loop so that mm. you got communications in both ways? <laughs> No, no, no. It's uh, this 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 approach does exist in some industrial systems. This one, mm -hmm. uh, you cannot uh, do that. You can, however, detect things. Uh, you can again. It's just uh, there's a lot of flexibility here. You can actually have nodes that ping each other. So if one disappears, it at least you will detect it, and you can uh, you know about it. You can at least send a notification. Yeah. Uh, and actually, with the latest version of the firmware we have. Uh, you you really uh, it's it's a, I mean it's an option to flip but you detect when nodes are unplugged so you you, you can get a, an alert for this kind of event if there's a fault on, on a device is there some fault tolerance so that like the device is uh, the fault is isolated on the device and then the rest of the nodes can continue to operate so yeah it's a bus so it means that if one of the devices stops working, it doesn't cut the, the communication. I mean, if you physically cut with a pair of scissors the cables, of course, yeah. it's going to stop communication. But let's say if one of the devices, uh, you've made a programming mistake and it gets stuck in an infinite loop yeah. and it's not doing anything anymore, it's hogging just resources, this will not affect the other nodes, even the ones that are downstream. Uh, it has no impact because actually... The wires are literally almost going right through the board. I mean, and uh, the the device is tapping into these wires. Ah, oh, it's just listening. Uh, it doesn't cut into yeah. the traffic. Yeah. It, if one scenario would be if a node starts going crazy and uh, floods the network with messages, then yeah, potentially it could uh, at least slow down communications for sure. It reminds me of Ethernet and uh, the old days when Ethernet used to operate on a bus. Right, yes, of, yes, yeah, where um, uh, the computers connected to the bus would transmit, all computers connected to the same bus would receive all of the transmissions. So that, yeah, you could have a rogue node that could take over the network, and uh, it's like a denial of service attack back then. There's a difference, important difference with the Ethernet, however, is that Ethernet literally all nodes can really broadcast at the same time and there's a complex mechanism to detect collisions, collisions and stuff like yeah. that and what happens if a collision happens you just re-emit and there's a there's an algorithm exp called exponential backoff that takes care of you know making things work in the end with can bus it's a it's a more clever system because actually when two nodes emit at the same time one automatically takes priority so there's no, you never re-emit. Ah. You actually, one node stops emitting when it detects the situation. And the message actually usually gets, the first one who, the one who has priority gets his message through. How is priority sorted? So, yes, yes, yes. It's again, it comes to the roots of this protocol uh, with, uh, I gave you the, uh, the, the example of you hitting the brakes in your car. That node, if it was a node in uh, in, in a network would have to have absolute priority over everything else. So there's some kind of uh, number, like a, a parameter in the setup yeah, actually, of each node uh, that provides that information? Yeah, actually uh, uh, in, uh, in, in, in the original CAN bus, it's the, uh, the number, the, each node has an identifier and the lowest uh, identifier has priority. 
That's all for this episode. The notes for this first part of episode 3 that include links to many of the resources mentioned and information on how to get in touch with Alain are available on our website, techexplorations.com. Don't forget to listen to part 2 of Alain's interview where we discuss his Kickstarter campaigns among other things. Each episode comes with its own page on the Tech Explorations website and a goldmine of information in the notes. This podcast episode was produced by Tech Explorations. Do you have any questions or suggestions? Would you like to nominate a maker to be our guest? And of course, you can nominate yourself. Just email us at podcast at texplore.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for the name of our podcast, Tech Explorations. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next time.